Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. Whatever we share is a part of our digital identity. If I want to look funny to my wife, I'm going to share different things that I know will make her laugh to show her that I also know that I'm paying attention to her wants and needs versus to my colleagues or to my bosses where it's, can this help me climb the career ladder, right? Or can I be taken more seriously because I'm sharing stuff that's both relevant to what we're, what our problems are, but also stuff that's going to make me look good because I know that if I also share stuff that doesn't make me look good or completely irrelevant to any conversation that's going on, that changes people's perception of who I am and what I find to be good. Are you up to speed on effective cross-channel customer engagement? If not, you could be losing customers and missing out on serious ROI. Visit braze.com backslash TMM to learn what customer engagement is and how it sets brands like yours apart. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Millennials. Today, I have one of the best content marketers out there, Tommy Walker. Super excited to chat to him about content marketing. Welcome to the pod, Tommy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I want to get it kicked off and ask, how did you get into marketing? So I had started my marketing career after getting fired from a retail job over a pair of pants. I had immediately gone into looking at what was going on in the online marketing space. I had held a marketing job for a few years uh, prior to that. And within the first couple of weeks, I had gotten my first client and built out over the span of about four years and then had a client that was more expensive to keep than they were to get rid of. So at that point, I had started writing. I ended up writing for a site called Conversion Excel, which then led me to this unknown startup at the time called Shopify. I was moved over to the Shopify Plus division. I was employee 14 over there, first marketing hire on Shopify Plus. I saw them to their first 1,500 customers or so, then moved over to QuickBooks, where I was the global editor-in-chief, ran content for 16 markets, had 40-plus contributors across many communication channels, and then was part of a massive layoff. Started the content studio shortly thereafter, and in that time... I have since worked with LinkedIn, Vimeo, uh, Twitch, and GoDaddy, to name a few of the names. And uh, now I host my own show called The Cutting Room, where I speak to content marketers at a very high level, working within those types of organizations about their content marketing philosophy, process, and pregame. And then we edit an article live on the stream. Something we you talk about a lot is the three axioms of content marketing. We'll go into one, two, and three, but let's start with one and dig deep into what number one is, and then we'll go to two to three. Sure. So uh, on my show, I ask people on a regular basis, what's your content marketing philosophy and how has it evolved over time? And what that's done is forced me to codify my own. And what I see out there when I ask this question, just broadly speaking, people say, you know, provide value, be engaging, right? And this is all stuff we hear in the content marketing space over time. And I felt like 
for me, it was important to really think about how I thought about the whole thing. So premise one, or the content marketing axiom number one, is a good premise will get you 80% of the way there. And what do I mean by that? It's the idea, if we're able to wrap our heads around something very simple, right? If we can communicate what our overall value proposition for the thing is that we're trying to do, then people will be forgiving if the execution isn't that awesome. You don't have to get the execution right so much as you have the really great idea that uh, you have the chance to evolve. So a good premise will get you 80% of the way there. That one in particular, like a solid premise, we could look at a show like here is the a show of seven strangers picked to live in a house, work together, uh, and have their lives taped. So this is what it's like when people stop being polite and start getting real. Depending on your age, you might know what that show is just by that little log line there. Another good example of a premise is uh, master bakers from around the world get together to bake realistic cakes to see if they can fool our judges. If you're in the Netflix era and you're watching Netflix, you have a pretty good idea of what that show is. And when we have these solid premises, it gives us the ability to stake a claim in our viewer, our reader, our listener's brain uh, to say, this is what I know this is about. This is what I can expect. And hopefully I'm engaged by the execution of this particular premise. The reason I love it, I think even more than ever with the TikTok era and content not having to be highly, overly highly produced, but just having great, giving value to the audience. I know that's a buzzword, but value to me is either entertaining, inspiring, educated. If it does something, the way you produce it doesn't have to be flawless, like you said, and it's just the storyline that happens. Like the series on TikTok are like perfect examples where they're not the best film, but it's like, okay, one of them is like the guy who says, can I tour your house? Like that's a simple execution, but right. it's still like the premise is like every time I'm going to go, I'm going to see a new house. And I know he's going to talk to strangers and I know he's going to do X, Y, and Z. And I, I, I can expect the contact. It makes you as a creator more reliable in your execution. TikTok's a great example that you see a handful of these. I'm a huge nerd. So there's uh, this one TikTok where the guy has a series called Dungeon Master Problems. And it's, you know, D&D type talk where uh, it's very relatable in that regard. Um, there are these two guys now that go out and stand there with some sort of challenge and people, you know, it's like, dump a bucket of water on his head and you get a hundred bucks, right? So it's the idea of being reliable as a creator to, to have these things, yeah, to be able to crystallize these ideas and executions around. I want to go into number two because I think number one sets up what people need to think about. You need to have a good premise to your content. It will get you 80% of the way, but now that. 20% you need to think about, but also there's other foundations you need to think about. So what is number two? Number two is content is a form of social currency. And hold on just a moment here. I'm going to pull up. So there was research done by the New York Times uh, Customer Insight Group years ago where they asked people, 
why do you share content? And the five reasons that they gave was to bring valuable and entertaining content to others, to define ourselves to others, to grow and nourish our relationships, self-fulfillment, and to get the word out uh, about causes or brands. And uh, content is a form of social currency. When I was in college, right, here's just kind of take it back, right? College, high school, it's just as important to me about the clothes you wear or the music you listen to or the podcast you share. All of these things that have some sort of outward projection of who we are. If we're sharing something that it shows that we don't necessarily have good taste, then we might not be viewed the same way to our peers, to our colleagues, to any of our contemporaries. So content as a form of social currency, when I think about creating content, it's not necessarily just what do I want to say about myself and how cool I am and how awesome I am. It's about what will make my viewer look good when they share it with other people? How can I help them spark conversation and discussion to make them look good? And by proxy, I look good in the process, but really it's because they're looking good by sharing the stuff that's being created. Whenever I create a piece of content, either in my newsletter or on social, I, my first I, premise I always go to is, would I share this piece of content in a group chat of a friends of marketers that I respect? Yep. Would, would they either think it's funny, would they think it's educational, or they think that it's thought-provoking? If it doesn't meet the requirement of me sending it in a, a WhatsApp, WhatsApp, text group, Slack, it doesn't pass my barrier to put it out there. There is that internal what you just said is people want to first like you don't want to share something that you you wouldn't be proud of sharing and then the second thing is you also want to show your marketing friends or your your friends that hey i have some interesting things or let's connect in this level or this is funny i think you would like it type of attitude whatever we share is a part of our digital identity i know for a fact that there are certain movies or musical tastes, for example, that I won't share with anybody. They're my own guilty pleasures. But if I want to look funny to my wife, I'm going to share different things that I know will make her laugh to show her that I also know that I'm paying attention to her wants and needs versus to my colleagues or to my bosses where it's, can this help me climb the career ladder, right? Or can I be taken more seriously because I'm sharing stuff that's both relevant to what we're what our problems are, but also stuff that's going to make me look good. Because I know that if I also share stuff that doesn't make me look good or completely irrelevant to any conversation that's going on, that changes people's perception of who I am and what I find to be good. I think that's really important to keep in mind because it's not about making ourselves look good so much as it is, if, especially if we're dialed into our audiences, what's going to make them look good when they share with their colleagues and bosses. The way that I like to think about this is we have to ask questions about 
the different markets that we're trying to go after. So when I think about developing a premise, I actually think about my audience in three different ways, right? So we have our core audience, the adjacent audience to that, and then the transformational audience. So I can give my own show as an example of this. Uh, and I'm sure that, you know, I, I would love to hear from you too, like who you feel like this would be for this show, right? So in my show, the core audience are content marketing professionals within large organizations, uh, mid-career, and don't necessarily feel like they have a lot of places to go for high-level information beyond what's out there for like HubSpot and things like that. Our adjacent audience are people within startups, right? Still within these professional, you know, still within that same sort of zone, but working at a very different speed. And then our tertiary audience is the transformational audience, which are freelancers who are interested in learning from the editors that work within these large organizations. So when I think about developing a premise, I'm looking at who that core audience is and then what these other two audiences might find interesting. And then how do I get them to think like this show is for me and they really get what's going on? I'll give you an example because I used to be at Shopify Plus, right? We had defined our core audience at that time as mid-market e-commerce providers. These were people who are already doing millions of dollars in business. The adjacent audience were people who were not quite doing millions, but still at the place where they needed to scale. And then the transformational audience were folks that were wanting to get to that point. And when I was developing the premise, right? When you develop a premise, you really need to be looking at this from an immersion perspective. So at that time, in that particular case, we were looking at, you know, who are our different competitors? What are they saying? And then what what is nobody else saying? So I was reading 200 articles from each competitor's website, listening to each one of their webinars, reading each one of their eBooks, watching all of their social media feeds and finding that a lot of the conversation that they were having was around features and their products and things like that. And when I start to look at, well, what is nobody else saying? And we at Shopify Plus, we weren't able to compete on features at the time. So we were saying, after doing all the research, what can you do when technology gets out of the way? Right. If everybody else is talking about features and we know from all of our conversations with customers and reviews, from those platforms and things like that, we know that a lot of technology was actually holding people back from doing the job. So the theme of our communications on the content side was what can you do when technology gets out of the way? And then that informed every single subject, every single piece of lead generation material that we put out. And it really helped crystallize in our customers' minds what we were about and how we thought about that particular space. And it helped us like become really unique in that regard. Brands like yours send billions of marketing messages every day. It's no wonder attention spans are shrinking and it's harder than ever to keep customers engaged. So how can you stay ahead of the curve? You can start by embracing great customer engagement with Braze. Visit braze.com backslash TMM to learn how you can harness world-class marketing tools for cross-channel engagement and how it will set you apart from the competition. 
I think the the two things that are so key to this is one understanding like core audience and the surrounding audience behind it, but also understanding where you fit in the market today and how could you fill a space that it hasn't been filled before? Because what also happens is like people start with, okay, I understand my audience. And then they start doing the same exact content because you're, you're most of your customers, competitors understand that should understand their audience too. The second part is what people miss out is what gap am I not, is not filling like your show, you're filling the gap that, okay, HubSpot and these people, other people aren't sharing this, this high level content that I'm sharing for these, these content marketers in these bigger organizations. That's a gap you're filling. You already know your audience, but the, the gap you're filling is that. But you got to f- find that like little gap that you want to fill fill in, which is, I think that's so a great way to think about it. I never thought about it as like the transcending audience and the transformational audience either. So I think that's a cool way to think about it. And I'm going to start thinking about mine like that, but it's a cool way to think about it. If we think about what a premise should include, this is the sort of thing you really want to ask yourself is for your listener with a job to be done, your content will grant them the power of blank. Whereas today they have to do this bad, boring thing after listening to or reading our stuff, they will be able to do good, interesting thing, right? So we want to think about the journey that that particular viewer, reader, listener, uh, so forth, what are they going to go through if they were to listen to your stuff from top to bottom? And what would they go through once they're done with the individual thing? Because when we're able to bring people through that transformative state, that's when they will become return visitors. And if they are return visitors, or if they never return, then we're never going to get into the consideration set. So we want to get people to return to expect that premise from us and us to deliver on that premise every single time. And if you're not good in the beginning, if the premise is good, they'll be forgiving and they'll come back to see you get better over time. You can get away with a lot of crap if you have a solid foundation, which is like, I love that. I think a lot of people forget about the way you put out content doesn't have to be great if you have good content yeah let's go into the third axiom um that yep. you have so we've gone down 80 percent of the way content the, a premise to get you 80 percent away and then content should be seen as social currency what is the third one and the third one is decisions are made in slack if we are in that consideration set right if our champion for buyers, because I work in a lot of enterprise B2B spaces, it's not necessarily one-on-one SaaS, then uh, decisions are made in Slack channels. They're made in private conversations. And basically, we want to show the people that our people are going to be sharing with that they have a conversation that can be had, that those decisions, we know that those buying conversations are going to be happening in private channels, and that we want to start those conversations to really help them decide whether or not we're the ones they want to buy from or not. What are some ways 
when you create content, you're thinking about, okay, this is going to get shared in Slack or not. How do you think about that? It's more of the mid-funnel stuff that we have to really think about that. And I try to think about the two different groups that those conversations might be happening. So like, I'll give you an example. Um, I've been part of a buying committee before where we were looking at, we were evaluating a, a few different CRMs. So uh, Salesforce was part of that conversation. And what we were looking at was who are the different teams that are going to be involved with this buying decision? So in some cases that might be marketing and sales or marketing and customer service. And what I want to do in the content creation process, now granted, this is all stuff that can't be measured, right? So it's a little difficult or it's not difficult, but it's a conceptual thing that has to be communicated in a way that, you know, what conversations am I starting with people? So if I'm targeting marketers in the content that I'm creating, what discussions can I create? What open loops can I create within that lead generation material to say, well, let's start this conversation with our our customer service team, for example. So something we might say in that is marketers found that when they when they got insights from the customer service team, they were able to increase their sales by X amount. How can we start those conversations and get those two departments talking to each other uh, in a way that will bring us to a decision point? I think the key to that is the have a conversation starter. What I always do is just go back to thinking of myself of like, what have I shared in Slack before? And what I've shared in Slack is like, oh, either, hey, this would be a cool idea to implement oh, this is really funny. Like this relates to us as marketers. Oh, this proves that what we're doing is right. So there's like different things that you think about and then you can go and turn your content be like, okay, what is an idea that that most marketers want to have? What that are, It's really new that it's like awe-inspiring that marketers want to like do Oh, what can I can I validate with content that they what they're doing is great, or can I share something that like brightens their day or entertains their day that they will share with their colleagues? I'd be like, oh my goodness. The third bucket's how I think about the marketing millennials a lot, especially on LinkedIn. Is like, how could I be relatable to the problems that they're having in a funny way to disrupt them from the to take it away from their day. So that's how I think about it. I just think about it in the third bucket, but there's also like Chris Walker, if you know who he is, he's mm-hmm. really good at like taking conversations that what marketers should be doing in their marketing and putting it in channels. They'll be like, okay, we should be doing this. We know we should be doing this, but here's someone validating that idea that has credibility that's done it before. Well, and, and let's let's think about this, right? So I, I was talking very mid-funnel stuff right there, but I think you actually brought a really great point up that it's not just the mid-funnel thing. So let's take marketing millennials as an example, right? You guys have advertisers, and at some point, that conversation was had within a company that says, yes, we will sponsor marketing millennials. We'll put our advertising dollars into this show versus this other show, right? Because we all have limited budgets. 
So if we reverse engineer that conversation, then at some point someone said, hey, here's this really cool show. You know, they're they're looking at shows that they want to sponsor. Here's this really cool show. So now they're looking at this idea of it being a social currency because they don't want to be the person that shares some other podcast that might not be as good of a place. And then take that a step further back. The reason why they said, I'm comfortable sharing this show with my group of people is because the premise of the show is really solid. So it's kind of thinking about it at that decision point, you know, who who are we going to sponsor? Who are we going to throw our ad dollars behind? We're doing podcasts as a whole. Then we can narrow it down as to where is going to be the best and most strategic bets. And those are, those are conversations that we can't track, but it's also very important things to consider if we're trying to make money from somebody else. There's so many different ways to think about content. That's why I always go back to like, even before the premise is like, what is like the goal we're trying to achieve with this content? Cause that also changes like, cause creators, for example, could have different goals in a, a company. A creator could be like, Hey, my end goal is I want to monetize this content. How do I want to monetize content? Either yep. it's something bottom of the funnel or I'm going to get ad spend to do that. Now, like when you think about those two things, it's like, if it's ad spend, then it's just like, let's create the best content that will align with sponsors and fit in with that. But if it's bottom of the funnel, it's like, how can I create content that creates credibility that so much credibility that at the end of the day, they will say, buy a course or buy a SaaS product that we're thinking about or something like that. So it all starts of like, hey, what is the goal of this content trying to do? I think at the end, the most important goal is they make the best content for your audience. Right. Um, that's the most important goal. But you always have to have a goal in mind of like what you're trying to do with this content, which a lot of people forget about as well. Podcasts are a great example of this, of, you know, non-marketing related podcasts. Some people just turn the camera on or turn the mic on and start talking into it and they accidentally fall into all of this other stuff, right? And that's great, but we're in the B2B marketing space in general, right? And the idea is like, yes, how can we be more strategic from that top point? And I think what fails in a lot of larger organizations in particular, but in general, is a lot of businesses are now going like, we need to start a whatever, right? We need to start a YouTube channel. We need to start a podcast or whatever. And that that whole strategic goal behind it, like what you're saying, doesn't necessarily even exist. It's just a matter of, hey, let's do it and then find out what happens. And it's like, you can't do that if you're trying to actually have some sort of business goal behind all of these different things. And I've worked with Fortune 1000s, man. I've worked with Fortune 1000s, Daniel. And those conversations are happening at that level. You know, let's just do it and then see what happens. And it's like, it happens at a startup all the way to the top. And also the point you're making before, I think your axiom said really well into it. It's like, okay, have a goal. But then once you have a goal, like actually let's have a premise of like what this content's going to be about. Because 
you can't just say, okay, I'm just going to put out content now. Like, I'm going to start a podcast and I'm just going to put out content. You have to have a premise of, okay, this show is intended to do, to do X, Y, and Z. The goal is this, the show is intended to do X, Y, and Z. And then you can decide, because it could be, hey, I want to build more education or top of funnel awareness about this topic. It could be, hey, this is more of like a middle funnel show where I want to get it shared to more decision makers, blah, blah, blah. It could be more of a bottom. Like you got to think about all these little places and how you're content. And then also what you did, which a lot of people don't do, is go look what your competitors are doing and say, hey, let's go fill a void in the market of what this content Because if you're just going to put out what other people are doing, then you're just going to get caught in the noise in the sea. I'll give you another example of the premise too, right? Because Shopify Plus is where, aside from my own work, is where I feel like I did a lot of my best work. And we got to the point where we said, okay, we need to have lead generation material. And we looked at all of the different lead generation material that was out there. And it was literally white papers, white, black and white papers. Here are our features. These are the things we do. These are the things we do well. Shopify Plus at the time, the only things that they had that were differentiated from Shopify was customizable checkout, dedicated customer service, and lower transaction fees. And we could not compete on features with the rest of the market. So the question that I had to answer at the time was, what's the difference between Shopify Plus and the rest of the market? And more importantly, what's the difference between Shopify and Shopify Plus? Because all we had was voice. And when I looked at all of the different competitors and saw that they were all competing on features, and I knew that we couldn't do that, I said, if we can't compete on features, we're going to compete on knowledge. So I took our eight primary verticals that we were looking at, so retail, uh, health and beauty, toys, et cetera, and said, we're going to do these industry reports that project out for the next five years where these spaces are headed, right? Throughout these industry reports, we're going to have customer testimonials littered throughout. And the way that we're going to design these is more like a coffee table magazine than it's going to be any sort of editorial side of things, right? Or any, any sort of just black and white white paper. And by the end of the day, right, when we were done, we had hard copies printed out of these reports. And it was, you know, a hardcover book. It was very nice. It had nice glossy pages. We had beautiful photography throughout and really deep research because we wanted to show our audience or our prospects that going back to our original premise, what can you do when technology gets out of the way, right? Which was the overall idea. When we started to go, These are what, this is what's happening in the next five years. We know where your industry is headed. Here's what you can do when technology gets out of the way. What's the subtext? And that's what that was really all about. And as a result of that, our sales team used it. It became really great lead generation material just in general. And uh, it really helped us differentiate from the rest of the stuff that was out there. And nobody else could do it. That was the other part was that as a startup at the time, we were looking at that and going, because of our size, right? We were smaller. What can we do that nobody else can? A lot of bigger companies, they have a lot of weight that they need to throw around to get something done. And we could just move a lot faster because we were smaller. That's one of the other things to consider when you're creating your premise is not just, hey, what's the idea behind it? 
but what also can we execute based on the resources that we have available? Because what can we do better than anybody else? That's a key too. Like, do we, like one, do first, do we even have the resources to execute that? And then right. two, like, like two, what do, the resources, as the resources we have, what can we execute at another level? Like startups, the biggest thing that startup advantages they have is speed, less red tape, could right. put things out, could test things because big companies, as you know, have a bunch of red tape, have a budget approval. It has to go through legal. It has to go through this. It has to go through that before getting out. It's like a six-month product, six-month process to get one big piece of content out there where you can get it out in two weeks if you yep. really took the time. I'll give you another example too of like, another premise in action, right? So in the research that I was doing for these different companies too, we had seen case studies, you know, company X works with company Y and sees Z results. And that's so overdone. Every company does that. And when you're looking at different competitors, there's no differentiator between company X works with company Y and sees Z results because they're all competing on features. All the features are pretty much the same. And you can assume if you're going to a case study section, that you're gonna see these good results. So after looking at that, I said, okay, the only resource that we had available to us in that case was our talent. And I later found out we had a we had a journalist who was on our team, right? That same story of journalist turned marketer, see that all the time. And I said, okay, this person is gonna be the one that we do case studies, who's gonna conduct our case studies because their journalism background has lent itself to doing interview after interview after interview. And I said, we're going to treat our case studies like Rolling Stone interviews. We'll still get that company X works or company Y, but we're going to get a lot more context and we're going to treat not the company, but the person who is behind this stuff, what they're actually doing and what does this mean for them? So I'll give you an example of what one case study could have been and what it actually became. So in one of the case studies we did, it was company X, they had a server, a fire in their server room for their on-premise e-commerce servers. So the CTO called the CEO at three o'clock in the morning to tell them, hey, this is what happened. And as a result, they switched over to Shopify Plus. And because of that, now their, their e-commerce platform is stable, okay? Company X works a company Y and CZ results. Platform is stable, right? That call came in at three o'clock in the morning on the night of the CEO's bachelor party. Changes the entire context of the story. Changes why everything else was important to get this stuff taken care of because that's the more human approach. These things don't just happen. They happen at a time in a person's life where that was a disturbance to something that went from really fun to really not fun in a state of mind that went from not really thinking about handling anything right now to, oh my God, I got to put my CEO hat on at the moment. What is a marketing hill you would die on? Um, return visitors are the North Star metric. It should be the North Star metric for everything that you do. Retention at, at the end of the day. Especially for content. I see that for like podcasts. Every every little piece of content you should put out is... Because it's 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 way harder to acquire 
I mean, acquiring your user, you were just keep spending and spending or putting stuff out there. It's way easier to just create better stuff for yep. people to stay. Uh, lastly is where could people find you, your journey, the things you're doing? So I'm Tommy is my name on all social channels. Uh, you can find my show, The Cutting Room on YouTube and then thecontentstudio.com for any other stuff that you might be looking for out of the content studio. Well, thank you so much for joining. This has been awesome. I learned a lot to think about how I used to think about content, but also I know a lot of audience and get a lot of value out of this. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.